Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast. I'm your host, Frank Giles, and this episode is going to be all about Hurricane Ian. It had an obvious uh, devastating impact on the Florida citrus industry which is still unfolding uh, as the days go by. So we thought it would be important to discuss the impacts of the storm uh, in this episode of the podcast. As always, I'm joined by Michael Rogers, the director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford. Michael, welcome. All right, thank you, Frank. You know, before we get into the storm, at a big picture level, what does UFIFAS do after a hurricane like Ian passes through? Well, our, our big uh, priorities immediately post-hurricane um, are, is to make sure that we're getting information out to the growers who need it, um, looking at, you know, what do they need to be considering as we move forward once once the growers have, you know, really gotten past the cleanup stage. Um, and, of course, at the, during the cleanup stage, a lot of our extension offices and agents around the state are involved in helping provide relief. So I don't want to overlook that aspect. But, um, but what I'm thinking about myself here is what we're doing as, as researchers. Um, what service are we trying to provide to growers to help them get through the, 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 final, the days after the storm? And, and it's really all about trying to make sure the right information is getting out helping growers think about what's important, what they should be thinking about as they move forward, trying to, you know, get the groves back in good condition as quickly as possible uh, to minimize uh, any losses that, that happen the best we can. And, I mean, sometimes there's things you just can't do about it. I mean, when you get down further south in the state where the winds were so high, um, there's not a whole lot you can do to, to minimize that damage. But but in parts of the state where the wind speeds were a little bit less, there was or maybe not so much flooding, there are things that can be done right now to help try to uh, turn those groves around quicker. And so that we really try, we're truly trying to get that information in the hands of growers so they can uh, do what's needed now uh, while the time is right. Yeah, you, you guys also uh, conduct a survey uh, just trying to get, get some uh, feedback from the growers of what kind of damage they're seeing. What, what have you been hearing in terms of damage, fruit loss, tree loss, structural damage, that sort of thing? Well, definitely it, there's, it's across the board um, from, from horrible to, you know, very little damage depending on where the groves are located. Um, and so that Krista Court uh, with the Food Resource Economics Department in Gainesville is working on that survey and you'll be hearing more about some preliminary estimates um, from that survey. But um, I think what's important is that when growers uh, see the, the links or the opportunities to participate in that survey, we really encourage them to do so because uh, the more participation we get in the survey, the better the data are going to be. And uh, that information is provided to FDACs so they can use that in reporting. And it will have an impact on, on money coming to the state for hurricane relief for, our, for agriculture in the future. So um, we know that statewide, you know, damages will, you know, well over a billion dollars in agriculture. Um, and that's probably an, an underestimate right there. When you, I think the numbers I'm hearing are, are like 1.8 billion for, for agriculture in general. Um, it's going to be huge for citrus alone. So um, and what those final numbers look like, um, I think it's probably going to surprise a lot of us. But 
Um, but we do encourage growers, when you get the opportunity to take participate in those surveys on the damage, um, please do so because it, it helps everybody and helps uh, get more money into that, that hurricane uh, recovery effort. And um, just this past week, we were down at the, the citrus um, uh, crop estimate luncheon, and I was talking to a number of growers down there that, you know, they after the lunch, they were heading out to their groves, some of the groves they hadn't been able to get in yet because of some of the flooding and washed out roads. So our growers are still uh, don't have a full idea of what all the damage is in some of their groves. Some of them they're not laid eyes on yet. So, uh, you know, it's still it's still going to be a, a while before we really know the full impact of this. Yeah, I, I had the opportunity to ride with a grower after the luncheon. He took me out into some of his groves uh, not too far from the Putnam Ranch where the luncheon was held, and it, it was a pretty good lick that they suffered down there. And, and you know, with a hurricane, it takes, you know, it could take months, maybe even years for some of this damage to fully manifest itself. And I think going back to what you said earlier, any of these mitigation efforts that growers can take to help mitigate the effects of the damage right now is pretty important, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and that's one of the things that we're, we're doing is trying to get information out on what growers should be thinking about. And um, uh, there will be uh, some more information coming out on, on online on our website. We've, we've just finished recording a video that we're editing up right now. It's some conversation uh, between myself and some of our faculty members talking about things that growers need to think about, you know. Um, like, for example, um, at this time of year, we normally don't think too much. We're not quite into the dry season yet, but um, our groves, despite the fact a lot of them were underwater for a while, uh, they've, they've been through a lot of stress from wind damage, flooding stress, and it almost seemed counterintuitive to me, but you know, those trees are actually going to need more irrigation than they have in the past as they try to recover from the hurricane. So we talk about what a, a proper irrigation schedule might look like. Um, uh, for these groves now, post-hurricane, and it's something that people need to think about. And, and fertilization, if, if these groves were flooded, you know, how do you, and they've lost all their nutrients, it's been washed out. So what do you do in terms of your fertilization program to make sure the trees aren't starving at this point in time as you're trying to bring them back into production? So um, that and a number of other things that we, we, talk, uh, we talked about in this, this video, and that's going to, in our Citrus Conversations piece, and, and that'll be online definitely by next week, and I think we'll have a podcast version for y'all to put out through Southeast Agnet as well. And so, um, uh, again, those are, there's a lot of things to be thinking about. And um, so we're trying to make sure we get that information out to growers. Uh, we've, we're also putting all this on our website, at citrusresearch.ipas.ufl.edu. And um, there's uh, a booklet we handed out at the luncheon this, this earlier this week on some of these, these topics to be thinking about. And uh, that's also online at our website as well under our Hurricane Resources tab, where you can get all the information we have related to hurricane recovery that we have right now. And we'll continue to be updating that in the coming weeks as well. So um, we're just trying to get as much out as quickly as we can because we know that time, you know, time is short. You want to do a lot of things right now, uh, immediately following the hurricane when you can. That will set the stage for what happens in the groves this fall and then next spring. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, I was talking to Matt Jorner with Florida Citrus Mutual at the luncheon, and one of the things he said, it was just disheartening that because there are parts and pieces that are coming together that, you know, that is 
positive for the industry and and those parts and pieces are still there we just got to get through this this blow of the hurricane so uh, that's going to be a long journey but it's good to hear that there's resources there that growers can turn to uh, in that process yeah and and we're doing what we can to help growers but we we also need help from growers here in ifas um, we have uh, uh, well backing up I guess a little bit you know we have a lot of projects, research projects going around the state. And some of those projects, uh, you know, we, we lost data this year. Um, the, maybe the block, all the fruit's on the ground now, or a lot of it is. And, and there's really no need to go forward for the rest of this year taking data on the, those projects. So what we've done, um, like in some of these cases, these are projects funded by the state legislature that where money comes to IFAS. So we've redirected those funds to do some work on, you know, hurricane damage recovery um, and research on how do we recover, you know, um, quicker from these storms, and what have growers done in their practices for HLB that have made the biggest difference? Because we see differences around the state in how some of these groves seem to be faring uh, with HLB. And and one example is um, we're seeing uh, cases where people who had been on a gibberellic acid program, uh, they're seeing less fruit drop uh, post-hurricane. They're seeing the fruit stay green, not turn yellow and drop as early. So and it makes sense based on what we know about gibberellic acid. Um, and, and there's other things we're noticing as well. And so um, Dr. Christopher Vincent is um, kind of retooling his program for this fall to be doing some survey work around the state, um, looking at uh, groves um, that suffered lots of damage or maybe minimal damage and everything in between where it's located in the state, whether they were flooded, whether... Um, you know, whatever practices they had in place to, to manage HLB, you know, are those practices, did they help weather the storm better um, or worse or things like that? We're trying to learn as much as we can to help improve our recommendations and also predict how these groves are going to rebound as well, which ones are going to come back online faster, things like that. So um, Dr. Vince is looking for growers who are willing to let him come into the grove, he, he and his, his, his uh, lab program, and, and just collect data and ask a few questions. And if, you're very, if your growers are interested, um, we're going to have stuff coming out through our newsletter, you know, requesting volunteers to work with Dr. Vincent. Um, but you can also reach out to him. His uh, email is civince, V-I-N-C-E, at ufl.edu. And um, but there we'll have that information, contact information, our newsletter, and it's also online. And we encourage folks to reach out to Dr. Vincent and uh, offer up your grove if you're willing to, to let him come in and and take some data. And he'll be communicating back with the growers on what he's seen in their grove and what he anticipates will be happening in the in the coming year when that grove. And uh, hopefully it'll be very useful information as we go forward in re- in our recovery process this year. And also be useful in helping us decide what we should be doing. You know, if should we have future storms, which at some point I know we will. Yes, absolutely. Well, Michael, uh, unless you have anything else to add, we can wrap it up here. And again, appreciate your insights on this. It's going to be a long recovery, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that recovery here on the podcast in future episodes. So appreciate you joining us today. All right, thank you very much, Frank. We're joined now by Megan Dudney. Uh, she's an associate professor at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford. Megan, thanks for joining the podcast today. You're welcome. Always happy to. Great, great. 
Well, obviously, this episode of the podcast is focused on Hurricane Ian and its impacts uh, to the citrus industry and the groves. And we're here today to talk with you a little bit about the the fallout from disease and that sort of thing after the hurricane. And before we get into more specifics, let's just talk in general about what a hurricane can do to a tree and particularly the root system. You know, how does all that rain and wind impact the trees? Yeah, so uh, when thinking about the the um, root system, it has a little bit connected to the canopy. So if the canopy's nice and full and everything, it can catch a lot of wind, and then that can put a lot of stress on a tree. Um, and we see that in trees that have got full canopies. Sometimes we'll see that they're toppled, even though they've got pretty substantial root systems visible, you know, now to the naked eye. Uh, so there's the problem of toppling trees that have got good canopies. can also, depending on if the wind is really circling or uh, steady from one direction, but sometimes it can really loosen trees. I've seen this in some of my young trees here at Lake Alford where they, they basically did a lot of circling and dug a nice big hole around each tree. Um, so that's pretty damaging. Uh, you get... Uh, drowning of the roots from flooding if you've got uh, water, standing water for three to four days. That can start to cause some real significant problems just in general of physiology of the of the root system. You know, those fibrous roots are going to start dying from lack of oxygen. Uh, toxic compounds, will, uh, particularly sulfurous ones, will build up in the soil and the soil water. So all of those sort of things are individually damaging things to a tree. So You've got the wind damage of just moving the tree around and breaking things underground. You've got uh, drowning, and then you've got the toxic effects of, of basically drowning. So just bad in general. It's not a good not a good thing for the tree. And nothing likes to stand in water for extended periods of time unless it's a cypress. Yep, absolutely. Um, Phytophthora is a concern after the storm, uh, and I, you know, that had been kind of an increasing problem recently anyway. Uh, what yeah. can, what can growers do to monitor for that problem and address, and address the disease? Well, hopefully a lot of people have had a, have a good sense of their Phytophthora counts prior to the storm. Um, but if they don't, I certainly would encourage them to get some sampling done, um, and, and have an idea of what their phytophthora counts are. But generally, we would only recommend that you treat for something like phytophthora if you have enough propagules, even after the hurricanes, um, you know, so that it's worth your while. So we would consider it, uh, the range of uh, propagules to be between 10 and 20 um, propagules per cubic centimeter of soil sampled. Um, and that's the units that you would get back from when you sent in uh, a sample for uh, for analysis. Um, so that propagule number is, uh, so we would consider, you know, 10, you're sort of on the cusp, okay, well, maybe, maybe not. Um, but if you're already up to 20, then you're probably, well, you really need to be getting out there and considering putting out an application. So if you're already on a phytophthora program and a rotation of products, then I would encourage you to, just continue what your normal uh, rotation would be considering um, 
you know, where where it would fit within your, within your normal rotation as soon as you can get out there. So we're recommending between the next 20 and 30 days that people should be getting some treatments out there um, if, they, if they're concerned they have a problem. Now in trees that have been toppled but then sort of put upright again, you know, sometimes you can salvage trees. Uh, the concern you have there is then looking at foot rot. And foot rot is different from the root rot that we're talking about. Uh, in that it's the scion that gets affected. So you start to see lesions going up the trunks of the trees into the scaffold branches of the trees, and then they start to ooze and, and become problematic. And that is because you're either getting soil splash, water splash up onto those surfaces. We're talking about an organism that can actually swim, and so it's going to be targeting your tree if it's sitting in that water long enough for it to do so. Um, and so you need to be concerned about that. But fortunately, anything that you're putting on for foot rot uh, is also going to do double duty for um, root rot. So those two go to sort of hand in hand. Um, there have been a little bit of concern with all the rain um, with earlies and brown rot. I would only recommend thinking about a brown rot application if you've got enough fruit left to, that you're going to harvest. Um, but if you're in the fortunate situation where you have enough earlies left that you can make a harvest um, and you start to see brown rot, you've got a few choices. So if you're in a block that you have had historic brown rot problems, and I know that people were reporting brown rot this year prior to the storm, but if you have a historic brown rot problem, then hopefully you have put out something like a phosphite in August. Um, but it's too late for those products now because they take time to build immunity up in the in the trees. Um, and, but uh, so what I would probably steer you towards are some of the newer compounds where we've had some promising results. Uh, not enough for a full recommendation, but some very promising results where they like Arondis, Arondis Ultra, Revis. All of those can be put on at either a one to zero to one PHI, so post-harvest interval or pre-harvest interval, I should say, an opportunity if you need to get something out. And then they can also be put out via air if you really needed to do it quickly. Um, uh, they do have; they are labeled for that. So if you do, are you for, if you're fortunate enough to have enough earlies left to even worry about it, and you start to see brown rot, those products will. Uh, or you could use a copper, which you'd have to put on by ground. But you can use any of those products uh, to stop additional infection. They're not going to obviously stop what's already there, but it will stop the further the crop from being um, lost to brown rot, and then you're just going to have to wait for the rest of the brown rot fruit to fall off the tree before you can harvest. So those are our real concerns with Phytophthora. I see. And what about canker? I mean, obviously, that wind's moving stuff around. Uh, what are some of the effects with canker? Yeah, of course, unfortunately, canker and, and hurricanes in Florida have a have a long, sordid history. Um, but so if, if you're looking at a mature grove, uh, you probably, if you've got tattered leaves, I think all of those can be vulnerable to uh, some canker, uh, you know, increase in canker. Uh, but I'm a little less concerned about that. I think those tree, those leaves, if they get too badly infected, they're gonna and they're damaged anyway. They're gonna probably fall off as we would expect in a in the spring 
leaf drop, if not before. So that's going to cause that inoculum to go away. Um, but where we probably are going to have further problems uh, for both mature trees, but in particular young trees, is the emergence of stem cankers on the young limbs. Um, and I'm you know, in our older trees, a lot of them already have canker. You might need to step up your canker program a little bit, but nothing too much more than what you would be doing on average um, to just stop fruit drop from those early season infections. But the young trees are where I'm particularly concerned because you're going to get these stem cankers, stem lesions in those young scaffold limbs that are forming right now on young trees. And they are able to produce inoculum, that early season inoculum, for about four years. So that's a long time that you're going to be really battling to get and cycling through a pretty severe canker on those trees, just when you want to keep as many leaves as possible and to establish a good canopy. Um, so what I would recommend to anybody who's in the situation where they see canker uh, coming into those young trees is that in the spring, early spring before we get our first canker season is to start a blockade program. And blockade is a plant uh, immune system stimulator, so it needs to go on prior to seeing, for best results, to go on prior to seeing canker. And that will hopefully tamp down the stem lesions to a dull roar so they're not able to uh, ooze as many bacteria, but also uh, reduce the amount of infection on the leaves. And that way you will hopefully not be battling canker in a really difficult way for the next, you know, five, six years where you're, you're likely to lose a lot of fruit to large lesions in the spring then dropping the fruit. You've been studying and monitoring citrus black spot since it arrived in Florida. Can a storm like this move that problem too? Uh, I think it probably certainly can. The question is really how far. Um, and that's a little bit up for debate. You know, when we look at the pattern of where Irma went through some of the black spot areas um, last time, we certainly saw an uptick of citrus black spot being showing up in, in different areas, sort of following along that path. But unfortunately, it's really hard to really say that that was Irma versus, you know, uh, people moving equipment or other things that also can contribute to the movement of black spot. So it's a little bit up in the air, but I certainly think that people need to be, you know, if they're, you know, our northern, most northern um, sites with black spot are in Charlotte County. They were only about 10 miles from the DeSoto County border. So if I were in DeSoto or in um, that region, I would certainly be just keeping an eye out for it and making sure nothing unusual is popping up in your groves. Uh, you know, if, and if it does, then, you know, we need to start looking at, at management programs. But I think at this point, I know that FDAX and CHIRP uh, and APHIS are all, you know, keeping an eye on that sort of thing, trying to make sure that um, that we don't see too much subsequent movement. And it'll be interesting to see whether we see anything following along the path of where Hurricane Ian went um, and sort of demonstrating a little bit more whether the, this pathogen moves as easily as it might, as it could uh, on the winds. It's not canker for sure. It's a lot less um, mobile than canker. And finally, Megan, any other disease or tree health issues growers need to be looking at in, in the aftermath of this storm? 
Um, I, I was sort of thinking about this question a little bit, um, and I'm thinking that we are likely to see more stem end rot, um, which has had an upsurgence in the last five, six years in Florida. Um, used to be stem end rot, diplodia stem end rot, was a problem on fruit uh, in the packing house. You know, it was a post-harvest issue. But in the last few years, we started to see it really on fruit on the trees, uh, where it looks like they're loosening because of, you know, the the effects of HLB. And then the, then the stem end rot is able to take advantage of that as the fruits start to senesce on the tree. And so we see these fruit that are... Um, got stem end, visible stem end rot lesions on, on the trees. Um, I'm, and I'm concerned that we might see more of that this year because the fruit have been loosened by the hurricane. Um, and and really it's just that loosening effect uh, that, that can cause problems. It could be that a lot of those fruit will drop and we won't see it as much as, we, that I, as I fear, but uh, that's one thing that I think people need to keep an eye out for and just figure out whether that's happening or not and whether, you know, trying to time their picking around it. Well, Megan, that was some great information. Uh, appreciate you joining the podcast today, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Well, thank you very much. Joining us today, we have Dr. Tripti Vashith. She is at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford. And again, this episode, we're talking all about Hurricane Ian. And Dr. Fashith, you've been studying gibberellic acid for several years now as it relates to mitigating fruit drop. But now after Hurricane Ian, uh, growers are trying to keep what fruit that didn't drop from the storm on the trees. Can GA help? Um, So GA can help in improving the fruit retention. But there are a few things that need to be assessed before gibberellic acid can be applied. One of the important things is to see if there is a substantial amount of color change on hamlins have already occurred. Then possibly it's too late to apply gibberellic acid because what that color change means is that... um, the fruit is already accelerated towards maturity. It's already at the verge of being fully mature, which also means the fruit can drop soon. So at that point, gibberellic acid may not be the best option to keep the fruit on the tree. Um, so there I would say cut your losses and don't apply. But nonetheless, if your color change is marginal, I think gibberellic acid can definitely help. One thing to keep in mind is that gibberellic acid would make the fruit greener, so you may have to move or arrange your harvest date accordingly for hamlets. Now, for mid and late varieties, I think gibberellic acid is a good option to apply to improve the fruit retention, especially when these high-speed winds could have... uh, caused additional stress on the fruit. Interesting. And one thing, earlier in this episode, I was talking to Dr. Rogers, and one comment he made was, uh, you're seeing some anecdotal evidence that the the trees that have been being treated by gibberellic acid uh, maybe fared the storm a little bit better. I mean, obviously, the places that got hardest to hit 
you know, it's hard to see that difference. But what are y'all seeing out there from some of the trees that have been previously treated? So uh, places where the hurricane damage was moderate to uh, moderate, so let's say uh, a lot of my sites are in central Florida where we did see some high-speed winds, but it was not as bad as southwest. In these areas, we are seeing that uh, gibberellic acid-treated trees um, have a little bit better canopy than the control trees. We're still assessing and quantifying these canopy density, like, so I have a number when we talk. Uh, We are working on it. But from it seems like the trees did uh, withstood better, and one of the possible reasons is that they just had a bit more canopy. So if the loss happened, it was more canopy helped with that. And we did see that uh, where gibberellic acid was applied, the fruit was able to withstand the stress better. So interestingly, we were doing an experiment where we had treated the fruit with ethylene. Ethylene is the plant hormone which is known to cause fruit drop. And we were just trying to see how much resilient the GA-treated fruit is. So we had untreated fruit, fruit treated with ethylene, and fruit that was previously treated with GA and ethylene. And we do see uh, numerically and with the numbers and stats that the GA-treated fruit was able to withstand the ethylene stress along with the high-speed wind stress better. So that is very promising. But again, I'll say that was in central Florida, not in southwest Florida, where the damages were very much more. So, you know, you have some timing and application tips for GA uh, that you've you've developed, um, you know, minus a storm. Uh, now that the storms come through, are those timing and application tips changed? Uh, uh, can you speak to that? Yes. So, um, so it does change with the storm because we all experience different levels and intensities of the storm. And that changes how we apply GA or should we apply GA. So um, one of the things before I get into the timing is that gibberellic acid not only helps the fruit, but it also helps with the vegetative growth. So the leaves grow better and more when we treat it with gibberellic acid. That's one of the benefits. And some of these hurricane-damaged trees, moderate damage, which would be, I'll say, let's say 50% canopy loss or less, these trees can benefit with gibberellic acid because gibberellic acid will help in growing the leaves. So in such cases, I would suggest that get the application now. Uh, the soils have been moist. Weather has been somewhat warm. Well, it has been warm. And with the canopy loss, the tree will try to push new growth. And providing gibberellic acid will help this new growth. Now, if your canopy loss has been more than 70, 75% extensive damage, in those cases, I will say that it is better to wait a little bit before you apply gibberellic acid. And one of the main reasons is just that if you have lost a lot of canopy, then you don't have enough canopy to uh, catch on to the spray that we'll be making. And uh, you may not get the benefit. I think if you have had a lot of damage, then it's better for the tree to just um, uh, 
recover a little bit, give it a few weeks, and then possibly apply gibberellic acid. One of the caveats in all of this is that um, I suggest if the canopy loss has been extensive, do not apply gibberellic acid beyond uh, Thanksgiving. And um, the main reason for that is that we know gibberellic acid suppresses flowering. And that has been one of the promising good things when I was talking up till now pre-hurricane. But post-hurricane, the problem is that our trees have lost substantial canopy. So I'm talking about really hard-hit areas. If they have lost substantial canopies, the roots will try to push new growth, so they'll be consuming all these carbohydrates. And what that means is that next year's flowering may be affected anyways because there are not enough carbohydrate reserves. And if we apply gibberellic acid on top of that, we may suppress it even more. So given the situation, I think our growers really need to think about gibberellic acid application in the hard-hit areas if it is best, if it is suited, and can they get it done before Thanksgiving, then well and good. Beyond that, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, I will be publishing flower bud advisories starting November 15, and I will be addressing use of GA and some of the concerns and considerations with that. So I suggest our growers, please pay attention to those flower bud advisories because they may help you in deciding if you want to apply GA or not. Very good. That'll be very helpful information because I know that this storm has kind of changed things up. Um, Tripti, anything else that you'd like to add? Um, so in addition to gibberellic acid, our growers should also be thinking about fertilization. Uh, with a lot of rain, uh, uh, the soils have probably leached out of all the fertilizer that there was if growers had made the fall application. So um, a light dose of fertilizer or split doses of fertilizer would be good because the new growth will need some nutrients to grow, and a light dose will be good. Uh, it should be in regards to the canopy, how much canopy is on the tree, so you need to adjust the dose. Do not apply a full dose that you would do anyways. Also, we are getting into now winters, and we are expecting some cold weather, so not a whole lot of fertilizer is needed. Situation, uh, unfortunately, right now, we have to be really thinking situation by situation. Every grove is unique, so we really, really need to think what is best, but nutrition should be on your mind right now. A light split dose would be beneficial for these uh, recouping trees. Okay, that's great information. Well, with that, Tripti, we'll wrap it up, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.